Welcome to WADA, ADA Live Talk Radio, brought to you by Southeast ADA Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Good afternoon, and welcome to the inaugural show of WADA ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, Burton Blatt Institute, and Syracuse University, the ADA National Network, we are excited to welcome our Internet radio audience to the first installment of WADA ADA Live. My name is Elaine Sutton Mbionwu, Assistant Project Director and Training and Technical Assistance Director for the Southeast ADA Center and today's host. Hello and welcome to our ADA Live listening audience in the Southeast region and around the country. The Southeast ADA Center is pleased to have with us today two extremely knowledgeable and well-versed speakers on the topic of employment and reasonable accommodations. Today's guest speakers are Jack Humberg of the Boldy Centers in St. Petersburg, Florida, and Cherie Hoffman of the Southeast ADA Center. Today, our guest speakers will address the legal and practical issues surrounding reasonable accommodations in the employment arena, including areas of coverage, the definition of disability, the legal rights and responsibilities of employees and employers, as well as the process for requesting reasonable accommodations. To kick off this segment of the show, I would like to begin by asking a few employment-specific questions of our guest speakers. Good afternoon, Jack and Cherie, and thank you for spending time with our ADA Live listening audience today. Good afternoon, Elaine. Welcome. Now, my first series of questions I will pose to Cherie Hoffman of the Southeast ADA Center. Cherie, does the ADA require employers to develop a written job description? Thank you for that question, Elaine, and the answer to that is no. The ADA does not require employers to develop or even maintain job descriptions, but if an employer uses a job description, they should be reviewed to make sure that they accurately reflect the actual functions of the job. And a job description is normally most helpful if it focuses on the results or the outcome of the job function and not actually the way it's customarily performed. And this is a way that enables a person with a disability that might need to accomplish that job function in a different way to actually request reasonable accommodation. Great. Now, would you mind expounding somewhat on the concept of direct threat? Um, I apologize for that. Well, direct threat, it can be viewed different ways, but the main reason direct threat is out there, it's, it's a narrow exemption to the general rule that employers have, that employers may not discriminate based on a disability. An employer's determination that an employee poses a direct threat 
cannot be based on fears or misconceptions or stereotypes about an employee's disability. And one thing that I can give as an example would be, for instance, if a person were applying for a job and they were HIV positive, and that an employer would have the incorrect assumption of HIV, that it would be spread through possible casual contact. Instead, the employer must make reasonable medical judgment and relying on the current medical knowledge and best, ava- best available objective evidence on that individual. All right. Thank you for that, Cherie. My next question for you is, who is a qualified individual with a disability? Well, I like to break that down two ways because it helps people understand a qualified person with a disability. The word qualified is a qualified individual who meets legitimate skill and experience, education, or any other requirements that the employment position holds or seeks. And then there's the person with a disability who meets the definition of a person with a disability, and mostly by the first prong of a person with a disability, somebody with a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. And also there's the possibility of a person who has a record of such impairment, and that would be determined at a later date. Um, So back to what I was saying, the person would need to be qualified for the position that they are seeking and also be able to perform the essential functions of the position with or without reasonable accommodation. All right. Thank you for providing such a very thorough explanation for our ADA Live listeners. Um, That that helps to give greater clarity on the fact that just because you have a disability does not necessarily make you qualified for a position. Cherie, um, does an employer have to give preference to a qualified applicant with a disability over other applicants? Well, the answer to that question is no also. An employer is free to select the most qualified applicant available, and they are able to make these decisions based on anything and any reason unrelated to the disability. And, for example, a person who applies for a job and the essential function, which is essential to a job, would be to type 75 words a minute. And one applicant is a person with a disability, and they type 50 words a minute, and the other applicant accurately types 75 words a minute. If the person with a disability is provided with reasonable accommodation but still doesn't make the typing speed, the individual with the higher typing speed would be successfully performing the job, and and the employer can hire them based on those merits. So, in other words, this levels the playing field. There's no special treatment. Well, exactly. That's exactly what the ADA is saying, that we're out there, you can apply for the job, but... Again, we'll go back to segueing to the question prior that they're qualified for the position and they meet the requirements as a person with a disability to request reasonable accommodation. Okay, great. Thank you, Cherie. Now, my last question for you in this segment, um, a lot of people grapple with whether or not to self-disclose a disability. Cherie, can you tell us when an employer can ask an applicant to self-identify as having a disability? 
Well, let's take it with the individual not having to disclose a disability. A lot of people think that they have to go right through the door and say, I have a disability. Some people, it's very visible. But they do not have to identify, disclose to an employer unless they have an immediate need for reasonable accommodation. For instance, during the job interview, you might need an interpreter during an interview, especially if you can't speed read on lips. So after receiving a conditional job offer, there may be some limited situations where individuals may be asked disability-related questions. So let's keep in mind the ADA is a non-discrimination law. It does not require employers to undertake any special activities to recruit people with disabilities or candidates to self-identify on an application, during an interview, or even upon job offer. But if employers are seeking out qualified people with disabilities, you may have to disclose in that case, well, you would have to disclose in that case because their recruitment is recruiting people with disabilities. Great. Thank you, Sheree. Now, I'm sure that our ADA Live listeners are are much more informed after this segment around written job descriptions and what is a qualified individual with a disability and when or when not to self-disclose. This closes the first segment of our show. Now, a word from our sponsors. Oli Centers provides information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. Oli Centers is located in St. Petersburg, Florida, and serves as the Florida State Affiliate of the Southeast ADA Center, a member of the ADA National Network. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. Welcome back to our ADA Live listening audience. We have a few questions that have come in for our guest speakers. And, Cherie, I'm going to pose these questions to you. Our call, we have our first question from our caller, Mary. And Mary says that she has a five-year-old son, and he has muscular dystrophy. I work for UPS, and my boss gets upset when I request time off to take him to doctor's appointments and physical therapy appointments. My son needs surgery related to his disability, and he will be in the hospital four days with another week at home to recover. My boss flatly refuses to allow me the week off at home with my son. I am a single parent. What can I do? Well, Mary, under the ADA, employers are required to provide reasonable accommodations for employees with disabilities, and in your case, your son is the person with the disability, not as you, the employee. So your employers making these decisions based ADA-wise, which is not applicable in your case. You may want to discuss this with your employer or your human resources and ask if you qualify for the Family Medical Leave Act. Thank you, Cherie. And, Mary, thank you for your question, and thank you for listening to ADA Live. Cherie, Cherie I have another question for you from Gertrude. Gertrude says that my mother, who has MS, used to walk with a cane but now needs a wheelchair. She works part-time at a local store. What accommodations does her employer need to provide? 
Well, good afternoon, Gertrude. And the answer to that question in general is that an accommodation is any change in the work environment or the way things are customarily done that enable an individual with a disability to enjoy equal employment opportunities. Under the ADA, employers are required to provide reasonable accommodations for employees with disabilities. Therefore, your mother can request an accommodation that is considered reasonable. In her case, being part-time would not exclude her from the process, but the size of her employer could. However, the EEOC guidelines have listed as not considered forms of reasonable accommodation providing use items such as a prosthetic limb, a wheelchair, eyeglasses, hearing aids, or similar devices if they are also needed off the job. Now, it might not mean I don't know what kind of job your mom has, and I don't know that if she's in a warehouse and, and, a, and something else might be acceptable for use for her. So I would like to follow up with, again, the 800 number to discuss this with you further at 1-800-949-4232. We can give more detailed information to you, the resources available, because every situation is different, and we can tailor this to your situation. Cherie, thank you. And Gertrude, thank you for your question, and thank you for listening to ADA Live. At this point in our show, we're going to start our discussions on Segment 2, and we will bring forward uh, for this discussion Jack Humberg from the Boldy Centers in St. Petersburg, Florida. Good afternoon, Jack. Good afternoon, Elaine. It's great to be here. I'm very proud to be one of your first speakers on ADA Live. We are excited to have you, Jack. Now, Jack, my first question for you is, when can an employer ask an individual for medical documentation? Well, disability-related inquiries and examinations of employees must be job-related and consistent with business necessity, such as positions that affect public safety, for example, such like police or firefighters. Um, obviously need to be able to physically do the job, and an employer can ask if they have a reasonable belief based on objective evidence that an employee's ability to perform the essential job job functions would be impaired by a medical condition, or he has a reasonable belief based on objective evidence that an employee will pose a direct threat due to a medical condition, as you mentioned earlier. Um, And an employee ask for reasonable accommodation and the employee's disability or need for accommodation is not known or obvious, the employee, the employer then can ask for uh, medical documentation. Okay, excellent. Jack, how can an employee request reasonable accommodations from an employer? Well, when an individual with a disability decides to request an accommodation, um, he, he or her or her representative uh, must let the employer know that they need an adjustment or a change in the work uh, in the work environment for a reason related to a medical condition or disability. To request an accommodation, the individual can use just plain language; doesn't have to be anything fancy, and it, they don't need to mention the ADA or even use the phrase "reasonable accommodation," although it might be a good idea. While an individual with a disability may request a change due to a medical condition, this request does not necessarily mean that the employer is required to provide that change. Uh, A request for reasonable accommodation is the first step in an informal, interactive process between the individual and the employer. 
Uh, I'd also like to mention that if an employer does get medical information about an individual and their disability, that information needs to be kept in a separate file and available only for those who need to know about that medical condition. It should not be in the personnel file. It should be in a separate file and, and held confidential. Now, the separate files is intriguing to me. I'm sure that our audience may not have been aware of that. And so when, when those accommodations have been requested, there has to be a separation between the personnel, the regular personnel file, and then the uh, accommodation file. Is that correct? That's correct. Any medical, uh, medical information should be kept in a separate file. Okay. So keep in mind that in some instances, before addressing the merits of an accommodation request, the employer needs to determine if that individual's medical condition meets the definition of a disability under the ADA. That would be a prerequisite for the individual being entitled to a reasonable accommodation. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Jack, can an employee or an employer get funding to assist with accommodations? And if so... Where might our listeners find out about these funding opportunities? Well, that's an excellent question. There are resources available, and I would suggest that the first uh, first place you might want to check with is the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation in your state. Um, there are other specific agencies that serve the needs of people with disabilities, uh, including United Cerebral Palsy, uh, Division of Blind Services, and so on. And certainly, I would uh, suggest that they check with their local Center for Independent Living. Uh, and there are centers for independent living throughout the country that may be able to provide assistance. Um, other ideas? Um, you can check the Job Accommodation Network at askjan.org. That's A-S-K-J-A-N dot O-R-G. It's a great website to provide ideas for what kind of accommodations might be available for specific disabilities or to perform specific tasks. And further, there are assistive technology programs around the country that can also provide technological solutions for individuals with disabilities. So there are a wealth of resources available, and um, our ADA Live listening audience, I hope you jotted down some of those examples of resources uh, available to you. Jack, how much do accommodations typically cost? Well, I mentioned the Job Accommodation Network, and they've done a, a lot of research um, on this topic. And they stated that of the employers who gave cost information related to accommodations that they had provided, 58% of the employers stated the accommodations needed by employees cost absolutely nothing. Uh, another 36% per, experienced a one-time cost. Only 4% said the cost resulted in an ongoing annual cost to the company, and 1% said the accommodation required a combination of a one-time cost and some annual costs. But of those accommodations that did have a cost, the typical one-time expenditure by employers was only $500. Only $500? That's, that's relatively inexpensive. Yes, I certainly think it is, and uh, those are typically one-time expenses. Okay. Now, my final question, Jack, is testing for the illegal use of drugs permissible under the ADA? Oh, yes, yes. Employees and applicants currently engaging in the illegal use of drugs are not covered by the ADA when an employer acts on the basis of such use. 
employers may subject current employees to testing for illegal use of drugs and may require job applicants to undergo such testing at any stage of the application process. So keep in mind that the illegal use of drugs are not going to be covered by the ADA. All right. Thank you, Jack, for joining us in this segment of ADA Live. Now a word from our sponsors. The Southeast ADA Center is your leader in providing information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. The Southeast ADA Center, located in Atlanta, Georgia, is a member of the ADA National Network and serves eight states in the Southeast region. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. Welcome back to our ADA Live listening audience. Jack, we have a couple of questions that have come in during the commercial break that I'd like to have you answer for Great. our listening audience. And we have a question from Joyce here in Georgia. And Joyce says, I have severe migraines. At times, I have to take medications that impair my ability to drive. Most of my work is done on the computer and by phone. Would it be reasonable to request an accommodation of teleworking on the days that I am unable to drive to the office due to migraines? Well, that's an excellent question, Joyce. Um, it may be reasonable. Uh, it depends on the circumstances. And keep in mind that we talked earlier about having a... Um, uh, performing the essential essential functions of your job. So the employer needs to look at, if you make such a request, is it essential for you to be in the office to do the, the essential functions of your job, or can those functions be done from home? Um, clearly, uh, it it's dependent upon what your employer thinks is necessary for you to perform those essential functions. Jack, thank you for that. And Joyce, thank you for listening to ADA Live and for your question. I have another question for you, Jack, and we have a question posed by Anna. And Anna asks, how shall my employer handle a situation in which my service dog is being territorial about my cubicle and snarls or growls when someone invades that space? Should the cubicle walls come down should I be given an office? Should I should I be expected to retrain my service dog? Should I be told that my service dog has to stay home? There are a lot of questions in that, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. Well, Anna, uh, a person with a disability cannot be asked to remove a service animal from the premises unless the dog is out of control and the handler, you in this case, does not take effective action to control it. It may be to your benefit to determine why the animal has become, has become territorial and discuss possible accommodations, such as what you have mentioned, maybe a different office, uh, maybe placing the dog in a different area in your cubicle. Uh, you're ulti ultimately responsible for your service animal, and your employer is responsible for possible reasonable accommodations. It's important that you determine what's causing these issues with your service animal and fix this as it's possible reason for your employer to ask you to remove the animal. And yes, this could mean some training on your part. 
again, I'd, I'd like to mention that uh, if you'd like to discuss this further, and Joyce, uh, also in your situation, if you'd like to discuss your case in a little more detail, please call our, our 800 number. That's 1-800-949-4232 to reach the national network. Um, and the question may require more research, and, and we need to you know, talk a little bit more about the details of your case. Thank you. And our final question in this segment, Jack, is from David. And David asks, if an employer does not have a legal obligation to honor medical documentation and grant a reasonable accommodation, how can they then say it is a legal requirement to produce medical documentation before they'll discuss the accommodation? Hmm, interesting question. Some employees do not want to give their employers a lot of details about their disability, and if you prefer not to give a lot of information, you may want to limit the amount of medical information you initially give to your employer when you request an accommodation. For example, you may want to tell your employer what you're having trouble doing and that the problem is related to a disability and what your accommodation ideas are. Some employers will not even ask for more information. They may just accept what you say and provide an accommodation. That's typically how it's done. However, employers do have the right to request additional medical information when an employee requests an accommodation. And if you do not provide it, the employer can deny your accommodation request. Keep in mind, they have to determine, are you an individual with a disability entitled to accommodation under the ADA? So when an employee requests an accommodation and the disability or need for accommodation is not obvious, an employer may require that employee provide some medical documentation to establish that the employee has an ADA case, has a disability, and needs the requested accommodation. David, thank you so much for listening to ADA Live, and thank you for that question. Jack, thank you for taking the time to answer those questions. At this oh, you're time, welcome. thank you. At this time, I would like to thank our guest speakers, Jack Humberg and Cherie Hoffman, for joining us today. And to our ADI Live listening audience, the Southeast ADA Center is extremely grateful for your support and participation in the inaugural show of WADA, ADA Live. Don't forget to tell a friend about ADA Live, like us on Facebook, tweet about ADA Live, or share an update with your LinkedIn colleagues. See you next month on WADA, ADA Live. Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic. And you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.